everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome this morning. Uh, thank you, Paul, for the introduction. As Paul mentioned, I am, as of November 1st, the student and 18 to 25 director here at LifePoint Marion. And uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I've been here at LifePoint Marion for about a year now, and God's already doing a lot of really amazing things here, and I'm really looking forward to all the things that God's going to continue to do here at our church in Marion. And so with that being said, a little shameless plug here, if you're a student, grade 6 to 12, or if you have a student grade 6 to 12, or if you're a young adult age 18 to 25, and um, you're not already plugged into one of our groups, I would highly, highly recommend that you come see me after we wrap up here. We have some awesome groups. They are such loving wonderful environments where we get so close. I mean, they're, they're like my best friends. And um, we love spending time together, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Out there on the front window, we say we're a church where no one should walk alone, and we want to do that through groups. So highly, highly encourage you to see me, and yeah, we'll get you plugged in. So um, like Paul mentioned, this is my first time doing this. I have never spoke to this many people in my life. <laughs> so as you can imagine, I am kind of nervous. I'm um, not really sure what to do with my hands here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm really excited to be up here. I know you probably came here today expecting to hear Paul and you got stuck with me, so I apologize. Um, Paul always does a really great job every week and he sets the bar really high. And I'm probably not going to live up to that, but I'm going to do my best, and, and we're going to see what happens. And all I ask is if this turns out poorly, uh, just hold your tomatoes until the end. Um, so yeah, we are in week number two of our Exile series, and we're going through the book of Daniel. If you'd like to go back and listen to week one, we have the LifePoint Ohio app. And on the app is all the past sermons. We have notes on there that you can follow along with. You can edit the notes. You can save them to your phone, email them to yourself. A lot of really cool and really great features. So just to recap week one, if you weren't here last week, we went over Daniel 1. And in Daniel 1, we were introduced to Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And these were four young men in Jerusalem, and they were taken captive into Babylon to be indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture to become wise men in Babylon. So this indoctrination process consisted of three years of training, and it also consisted of name changes from their previous names that they were names that honored the God of Israel to names that honored the false gods of Babylon. And they endured through these name changes and through this training. However, when it came to eating the king's food, they put their foot down and they said, I'm not doing that. The reason being is there was Old Testament food laws that they wanted to remain faithful to God in, and they would not be able to do that and eat the king's food. So they held fast to their spiritual identities despite pressure that they were facing from the culture and their surroundings. And in the same way, we should be striving to hold fast and stand firm in our spiritual identities, regardless of the outside pressures of the world and our culture that we might face. So the tagline to this series is exile, it's citizens of a different kingdom. And the big idea with this series is that faith is more about how you live than where you live. 
You see, we as humans, we tend to be products of our environment. We tend to take on our surroundings and the culture that we're raised up in. We have all these different ways that we think, that we live, that we, you know, things that we believe in, and a lot of these can be cultural and they can be in our surroundings, and we kind of take that on. And so, because of this, citizens of different kingdoms act, live, and think differently. And in many ways, our citizenship, where it's founded, will affect how we live, what we believe. So, throughout the message today, we're going to be looking at things through two different lenses or perspectives. One being a person whose citizenship is rooted in the kingdom of God, and another who's a person who's rooted in the kingdoms of this earth. So, I'm going to, at times throughout the message, refer to one as someone being a citizen of heaven, and that person is a believer, and the other one being a citizen of the world, and that person is not a believer. So, this week, we're going to be going over Daniel 2, which is centered around a dream that the king of Babylon has. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to dig into Scripture. So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we get to gather here together. I pray that as we open your word, you would open it to us, that it would speak to our hearts, and that it would speak to our minds, and that you would just go on our behalf, Lord, that you would change us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would hear a word from you today. We love you, and we thank you, and in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. And if you don't have your Bibles with you, that is okay, because we are going to have the verses up here on the screen. So, Daniel 2, starting in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh." So, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. He has a dream, and he knows that it's a significant dream, and he needs it to be interpreted. So, he goes to the magicians, enchanters, and the, the sorcerers, and the wise men of Babylon to have them interpret this dream for him. 
When they tell him, we're not able to do this, he gets upset and he orders for them to all be destroyed. And I know this story might seem a little unrelatable, might be a little ridiculous with dreams and enchanters and sorcerers, so I'm going to go through a little bit of context so we can better understand the situation. So throughout the Bible, we see times where God spoke to people through dreams. A prime example of this being back in Genesis, in Egypt, Pharaoh had a dream, and Joseph was able to interpret that dream for him. We also see in Joel 22, it's prophesied that it shall come to pass that afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So dreams are a means of communication that God uses, not only in the past, but one that he can presently use and use in the future. When it comes to the magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, I think the first place our mind tends to gravitate is street magicians like David Blaine or Harry Houdini, you know, guys you see on TV, and these are obviously not those kinds of guys, right? These are people who had a reputation for having more power than the average person, and they would receive this power through doing all sorts of rituals and incantations and things like that. So with all of that being said, I think it's easy for us to sit here and think, well, of course, these guys aren't going to be able to tell this guy what his dream was. It would be one thing if he just wanted an interpretation and they could give it their best shot, but he wanted them to tell him what his dream was. And we know that that's unreasonable, and we know that people don't have the capability or the capacity for that. And so you see, in the context of their society, though, the magicians and the sorcerers were supposed to be the specialists with this exact kind of situation. Nebuchadnezzar went to the exact people that he should have went to in the context of their society and in the view of a citizen of the world. So with that being said, the problem here is that, pardon me, Nebuchadnezzar had placed his hope and his expectations on people when only God could provide what he needed. And this brings me to my first point, which is we shouldn't place our hope in people for things that only God can provide. I think that in our own lives, if we put our, we, I think we put ourselves in the shoes of Nebuchadnezzar more than we realize. Obviously, we probably don't have dreams that need interpreted, and we're not going to kill anybody if we don't get that interpretation. However, I think a lot of times we're looking to people for things that only God can give us. The first example that come to mind for me was love. So in the context of our society, the people you should be looking to for love are your friends, your family, your significant others. If you're looking to these people for love, rightly so in the context of our society. However, the kind of love that we need, truly, people are not able to give us. We need a love that will never leave us. We need a love that will stick with us through every hardship. We need a love that's not going to abandon us when we mess up. We need a love that's perfect, a love that never gives up or fails us or falls short. And that kind of love, we as humans are not capable of truly giving. We're imperfect. So maybe you're looking to people for love, maybe you're not. Um, I have a 
short little list of maybe some other things this could be. Maybe it's a sense of purpose. Maybe it's a sense of value. Maybe it's affirmation. Maybe it's direction and guidance. We can look to people for all of these things, but truthfully, who we need to be looking to for these things is the Lord. There are many things that we can look to people for, and if we continue to look to people for these things that we truly should be looking to God for, then we're going to end up in the same position as Nebuchadnezzar, and that position is still not having what we need and frustrated. So my question to you is, what are you looking to people for that you should be looking to God for? You see, where your citizenship is founded will determine where you look for help. And a citizen of heaven turns to God for their needs, and a citizen of the world will turn to people. So moving on in the text... Nebuchadnezzar wanted all the wise men to be killed in Babylon, and this would have included Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we're going to pick back up in Daniel 2, verse 12. Starting in verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So to sum it up, when Daniel had caught wind that he and his friends were in danger due to the decree of the king, he went to the king and bought more time so that he could then go to God and get the information that he needed. And here we see a completely opposite reaction between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar when they were faced with a problem. Daniel, instead of looking to people, he went straight to God with the issue. And this makes complete sense when you consider that Daniel is a citizen of heaven and Nebuchadnezzar is a citizen of the world. However, I think it's good to note that going to God wasn't Daniel's only option here. It was his only option for true success. However, it was not his only option. So you might be saying, well, what is that other option? So I'm going to explain. If we look back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, it says the following. As for these four children, talking about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So here we see that Daniel had a special gifting from God for dreams and visions. Quite the coincidence. And when you take this into account, I think if we put, our shoes, put, our, put ourselves into the shoes of Daniel, I think it's, it would have been very easy for him to see Nebuchadnezzar's situation and say, oh, he needs a dream interpreted and told to him, I have the perfect 
the exact spiritual gifting for that. I think he very easily could have stepped up and tried to lean on his own strength and his own understanding in this situation. I mean, I know personally, when I'm faced with issues in my own life, my first reaction is to think, okay, well, how can I get through this? What can I do to solve this? What can I do to figure this out? And I think that easily could have been Daniel. Obviously, this isn't what Daniel did, and thankfully, he went to God, and he made the right choice without hesitation. But this brings me to my second point, which is our faith should be in God's capabilities rather than our own. Daniel's situation is an extreme case. He had to pull through in a very miraculous way. He had a time constraint. His life was on the line, and that might not be relatable to us. However, I think it is relatable that there are many situations that we face that are truly impossible without God in the mix. And I'm not sure what that may look like for you in your life, but maybe it's trying to be enough for God, trying to do all the right things, and you just keep trying and just can't quite get there. Maybe it's trying to be free from some kind of sin or bondage or addiction that's holding you down, and no matter how much you try, you just can't seem to escape it. Maybe it's trying to figure out your life or your future and what lies ahead for you. You, you look and there's no clear path for, for what lies ahead, so we just try to conceptualize in our minds, what lies ahead, what am I going to do? Maybe it's trusting yourself to work through a problem instead of just going to God about it. We're faced with problems all the time in life. So maybe it's not any of these specific things for you, but I want us to be reflecting, and I want us to be asking ourselves this. What situations are we taking into our own hands instead of placing them in God's hands? See, if you're like me, you don't like relying on other people. In my own life, and my own personal experience, a lot of times when I trust in people and I put my hope in people, they let me down more times than not. So to combat that, I've kind of become hyper self-reliant and I don't give people the opportunity to let me down. And I think if that's part of your story too, I know for me it's meant that it's, it's harder to trust in God. It's so much easier to just trust in myself instead of trusting some sort of outside source because that leaves a sort of vulnerability there. So with all that being said, I think there's one thing that we can know that changes the situation and that's what God's capable of. If we know what God's capable of, I think then it makes it easier to place our, our trust and our hope in God. And this was Daniel's case. You see, Daniel, after he received the vision from the Lord, he went to the Lord singing praises, and he said in verse 20, "'Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his.'" He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. So Daniel knew God was sovereign. Daniel knew God was in control of the situation. Daniel knew that God was able to give him whatever he needed to be staying faithful to him in the situation. And he knew what God was capable of because he knew God. There's a couple of verses of Scripture that I thought seemed relatable to this whole idea of, of self-reliance and trusting in ourselves. 
And the first one is Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The second scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. You see, I think it can be confusing at times because we can go through life and we can be relying on ourselves and we can get by and we can be okay. We can, we can get by in life figuring things out for ourselves. However, we will never carry out God's will in our lives by leaning on our own understanding and wisdom. And we see that in these past two scriptures. You see, a citizen of heaven will trust in God, and a citizen of the world will trust in themselves. So moving on to the last part of the text, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar's dream and what it meant, and in turn, what it means for us. So we're going to pick back up in Daniel 2, 26. Starting in verse 26, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your, your dreams and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. So here I just wanted to stop, and I just wanted to note that Daniel looked at this whole, uh, this whole situation as an opportunity to point Nebuchadnezzar back to God rather than himself. So Daniel, he wanted Nebuchadnezzar to be assured that it was God who was bringing him the revelation and not himself. Daniel recognized that it wasn't himself that the king needed, but it was God. And I think it's important to note that in our own lives, when we have opportunities to help people and to do the work of God in our lives, we should be considering what we're doing and who we're pointing these people back to. Because any time that we're pointing people back to ourselves rather than to God, we're giving them a short-term solution for a long-term problem. You see, people, they're not always going to be able to look to us all the time. We're not going to be able to be there for them every second of every day. We're not going to be able to love them in the perfect ways. We're not always going to be able to provide for them everything they need. That's God's role in their life. And so we need to be pointing them back to God rather than ourselves. So I apologize for the sidebar, um, but that was just a really good point, and I didn't want <laughs> to just glass over it. Um, so now we are really getting into the dream, um, and I just want you to buckle your seatbelts because this is going to be a long one. Um, so starting in verse 31... Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. 
The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks, breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom." Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Whew. Nebuchadnezzar, he dreamed of a statue that was destroyed by a stone. The statue had a head of gold, it had an arm and chest of silver, it had thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of partly iron and baked clay, and each of these parts of this statue represent a different kingdom. And Babylon was the head of gold. Most Bible scholars tend to agree that the arms and chest of silver represent the kingdoms of the Medes and the Persians. The bronze thighs and belly represented the kingdoms of Greece, and the legs of iron represented the kingdom of Rome. These were the greatest kingdoms of the earth after Babylon, but before the rock came. So it would make sense that these were the kingdoms represented in this statue. There's speculation as to what exactly the feet are, what kingdoms those exactly represent, but I think the best explanation that makes the most sense is that they were mixtures of kingdoms, both strong and weak, of the end times. So you might be wondering, well, what about the rock? What about the stone, depending on your translation? This is the best part, so I was saving it for last. The rock represents Jesus, a stone not made by human hands that was sent down. You see, God, Jesus, are referred to as the rock or the stone in the Bible many times. Here's a couple examples. Um, one is Psalm 18.2. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, He is the rock. His ways are perfect, and all his ways are just. 
A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. You see, every kingdom that has ever existed in history has one thing in common. And that one thing that it has in common is that they've all come to pass. No matter how great, no matter how broad their kingdom was, no matter how much power or rule they had, they all came to an end. And I think if you would have put yourself back in the times of Jesus in the empire of Rome and you would have told a Roman, hey, your empire is going to end someday, I think they'd probably look at you like you're a little dumb because that would have been unthinkable to them. And I think that feels relatable today. And I want to start off by saying that I love our country, and I think we get to experience a lot of freedoms here. I think, you know, our country is built on, you know, the principle of freedom and liberty for all, and I think that's something we work towards as a country, and I love that. But with all that being said, if we believe what the Bible says, then we know this country isn't going to stand the test of time. And that's because no country on this earth will. You see, the Bible is consistent throughout that this world, as we know it, will come to an end at some point. We're not sure exactly when that is, but we can trust that that is the future according to the Bible. So, if you were here for our series in Revelation, this should be an idea that's very fresh in our minds. We went over it for 10 weeks talking about you know, what, what is to come? What is after this? So this leads me to my third and final point, that we can't put our hope in government rather than God. And I'm not saying that government doesn't matter. I'm not saying that we should cast it aside and treat it as though it carries no significance or importance, because it does. I think we should be diligent in the way that we approach it. And we are all citizens of America here, I think. Um, but first and foremost, as believers, we are citizens of a different kingdom, and that kingdom is the kingdom of God. You see, our citizenship in heaven should be what we're anchored in, because as we just discussed, the kingdoms of this world, they're all going to come to a pass, but the kingdom that the rock Jesus set up is going to endure forever. It began 2,000 years ago when Jesus defeated death on the cross, and today the kingdom of God is still alive and well. So I'll ask, with that in mind, what things are we trusting government for that we should be trusting God for? Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's protection. Maybe it's provision, the things that we need. Maybe it's the future. But the reality is, is God is the one who holds tomorrow in his hands. He is the one who is truly in control, and he is our true provider, and he's the one that we can truly hope in for these things. So in times of need or times of want, where do we look? You see, a citizen of heaven will look to heaven, and a citizen of the world will look to the world. Whether we realize it or not, when we root our hope in the world, whether it's ourselves, whether it's other people, whether it's the government, we're setting ourselves up for letdown and frustration. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, we're looking to people for things that only God can provide us. When we look to God and we root our hope 
and our trust in God first and foremost, then that is when our needs will truly be met. So I ask, where is our hope? You know, I think we could hear all of this and, and we could get discouraged because everything that we look to in this world seems like a dead end. And I think if you take a look around in this world, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find things to be hopeful about. Our, our world's a really tough place. But with that being said, we can rejoice because there is a hope and there is another way. And that way will never let us down. And that way is Jesus. He's the stone that was not crafted by human hands, and he's established a kingdom that will last forever. And we get to be a part of that. So if you're here today, and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and maybe you feel him tugging at your heart, maybe if you want to take a step in your faith and, and, and say, I want to believe in Jesus, or maybe if you've put your hope and your trust in the world or people or yourselves or your, the government and you've been let down, whatever it might be, and you're just tired. You can have hope because there's another way. So Brad's going to come up and he's going to play a song. And I'm going to close us down in prayer and our next step team's going to head to the back. So I would like for um, you to take a step back there. And, and if you need prayer for anything, if you'd like to take a step of faith today, if you just need prayer for your life and what you're going through, the people back there would love to pray with you. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to close us out in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we get to gather here together, and I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd speak to our minds, and that we would root our hope and you, first and foremost, that we would be looking to you for our every want, our every need, because you are our provider, you're our protector, and we can trust in you. Jesus, I, I just pray that you would work and move in this place in an obvious and evident way. Thank you for this time that we get to spend here this morning. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.